Hey, I'm Keely. I'm a site lead here at BYOP. What I've learned here at BYOP and observed is teamwork. We are all a big happy family. We all support each other and we all have a common goal and we try to achieve it. The second one is time management. It's very important to put your time and effort while doing multiple things all at once. It's very overwhelming sometimes, but it's definitely, like I said, first ties back to teamwork. We all make it work. The third one is organization. Trying to find time to schedule throughout the week and throughout the month is very important because if you don't, you find yourself lacking and it's really hard to keep up. So as long as you keep yourself together, it's all good. Do you see yourself being on the team? First thing I've learned and observed at BOI, B, no. <laughs> Just delete it, cuz. Baby. We in here, yeah, we in here. Y'all better get comfortable with saying black. We in here, yeah, we in here. Black versus the Board of Education. That's why we are indeed a whole mood. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. Welcome to another Monday of Black versus the Board of Education. My name is Miss Laureen, and of course, I am your hostess with the mostest. But before we get any conversation started, you know I got to kick it to the team for co-host introductions. So, Jalen, because you're here, and you always here, yeah. let me go ahead and start with you. Yeah, you know, we're back. Uh, another Monday. My name is Jalen, and uh, yeah, we home. And you are a... College person. Student. A college person? <laughs> college student. <laughs> he identifies as a college person. All right. <laughs> Miss Jada. Hey, y'all. My name is Jada. I am a, uh, wow, I almost forgot. I am a senior here in the Elgrove area, and it's so good to be back. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, indeed. Go ahead and throw up my three co-hosts that are joining us virtually. Samuel, we will start with you. Say hey, hey, hey to the people Hello. in the back. Hello. My name is Samuel. I'm 12. Uh. I'm in sixth grade. Uh, I like baseball. Go Giants! <laughs> okay, Sam. <laughs> Miss Anaya. Hey, everyone. I'm Anaya, and I'm currently a senior in high school. Well, welcome back to the conversation. And, of course, last but not least, my boo. Hey, come on. Talk to him. Say hey. Hi, everyone. My name is Melissa. I am a junior and located in Los Angeles. Perfect. And your hair is fire today. Thank I don't you. know what's going on. I'm I'm about to, I'm jealous. I my higher appointment ain't till Wednesday. It's all good. And you know, uh, we actually have a special guest in studio. Hey, Miss Kimberly. Uh, we have a special guest in studio. We are joined by the fabulous Miss Maple. Miss Katie Maple <laughs> is in the building. <laughs> and for some of us, we met her um in april when we did our candidate forum but she has decided to join us and she accepted the invitation to join us and so we're going to get a chance to really get to know her this is really not a campaign stomp per se this is us trying to figure out who you are and then maybe later on down the conversation we can talk about why we should vote for you sounds great okay so go ahead and introduce yourself for the people who may not know you Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having me here. I of really course. appreciate what you do here. And uh, I've listened to a couple of them. So I'm, so I'm excited. Were they um, on their best behavior? Always. Uh, <laughs> so my name is Katie Maple and I'm a candidate for Sacramento City Council here in District 5. Perfect. Uh, and so District 5 covers what? It is a one of the 
largest and uh, strangest shaped districts out of all of them. Okay. So it goes all the way from up north in Oak Park and Med Center area. Mm-hmm. And it comes down. It has South Oak Park. It has Hollywood Park, Carlton Tract, Megan Park, Lawrence Park, lots of parks. Okay. Um, Golf Course Terrace Estates, which is all around the county executive airport. And then it goes all the way south to Mac Road. So it includes a parkway. Um, Parkway Estates and then has, actually has a piece of meadow view at the end past Mac Road. So okay, really, really big, really, really different and mm-hmm. lots of amazing communities and businesses and and just so much, so much. Awesome. And so you guys heard and I think uh, Anaya, you might be over in that area, District 5. Um, so you should be paying very, very close attention because as I've told you all, uh, politics is an exchange. It is not a gift. That means we have to talk about different things that we need in our community before we decide on who we're going to vote for. And um, I know you know the game. And so this, these young people, some of them will be, no, y'all not 18 yet. Y'all not. Well, you Shit. can vote. Yes, sir. And this one can vote. Okay. And so there's a couple. 16-year-olds uh, can that can pre-register. pre-register. Yeah. Are y'all pre-registered? You better be. You. Yes. I pre-registered last year. Uh-oh. Okay. Amazing. Come on. Come on. Okay, Melissa, you 16. Are you pre-registered? I just turned 16, so not yet. But you can get pre-registered? Mm-hmm. Okay, Melissa can. Jada can, but she has no. I can, no. but I haven't. I don't know. Um, I guess I'm not really much into, not not into politics, but it's not a subject that I find myself on all the time for me to be like, oh, yeah, I know I'm going to vote for them. It's kind of just like, who are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's interesting that you say that, that you're not quite into politics. A lot of times we go out and we hear, uh, I don't do politics, but we have to understand politics does us, mm. right? So that means the things that are in our communities, whether um, it's things like water, uh, sewer, garbage, um, stuff lights, within your school, parks. the straight street lights. Come on, tell them some more. All of that. More. Yeah, parks is a big part of it. That's one of the things I hear too. And also a lot of the issues that you see around you, right? So when you look at things like homelessness, yeah. right? When you look at things at the co- like the cost of housing, for example, those are two really big issues that I hear the most. Um, those are all directly related to the people that we put in charge. Would school fall under that too? So there are school, um, there's school boards. So they have mm-hmm. a different elected body, but yeah, absolutely. Okay. So school districts have their own elected boards and those people make decisions every day. That well, impact they're supposed directly. to anyway. <laughs> We're not going right. even, I mean, it's like shots fired. Oh, hold on. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to come with your own sound effects. <laughs> well, they're supposed to do certain things. And the re- the reason why they don't is because a lot of times we're not engaged like we need to be. So that's why I'm so glad that you're here um, so that we can kind of talk about it because the election is next month. November right? 8th. November 8th. 36 days. Who's counting? Uh, you. I, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> and so I just want, um, let's start here. Why are you running? Okay. So for me, I, I always start out with my personal story. So um, I left home when I was 16. I grew up in a very tumultuous household. My mom wasn't around. Um, You know, I had some, some family issues and um, I left home and I was a, I was a runaway. So I uh, was often sleeping in my car. I slept with my, on a friend's couch for a couple of years almost Mm. while between 16 and 18. And then eventually um, found my way into community college and I spent, you know, five years at American River College um, and then eventually went to UC Davis. But there were a lot of struggles yeah. that came along with that. Um, so that included like how whether or not I was able to access financial aid because I was the only person in my family who had gone to college. I had no idea what I was doing, um, how to navigate different government services. Um, and then once I was in the workforce, I worked in the restaurant industry for, you know, almost a decade working um, bartending, waitressing, you name it. I did it mm-hmm. all. 
Um, I ex experienced a lot of challenges navigating government there because we actually um, experienced wage theft and other issues while I was working in restaurants. And I remember my first organizing experience, I actually got all my coworkers to go and um, file at the labor board because we had uh, experienced wage theft. And that was a big moment for me of realizing, oh, wait, I have power. I have more power than we have power collectively right. if we do something together. And so um, fast forward, I was serving on the board of the Oak Park Neighborhood Association. Um, we had just started a program called Oak Park Cares, which was giving out grants to um, to neighbors in need during the pandemic. So people were struggling to pay their bills, pay their, you know, get their car fixed, whatever it may be. Um, and then uh, also I was running a nonprofit called Sack Soup, Solidarity mm -hmm. of Unhoused People. So we founded that also at the beginning of the pandemic. And it's just filling in all those gaps, making sure that people had, you know, water. We were cooking meals and distributing them every day of the week because a lot of the nonprofits that were run by mostly older women were shutting down because of COVID. Um, and I was just frustrated. I was looking around and I was like, why are we not able to move on these really important and urgent issues. We're seeing the number of people on our streets skyrocket. I'm seeing people all around me that are losing their jobs, their housing, and we're not able to, to protect people, keep them in their homes. And then of course, like things like in Oak Park where gentrification is a huge issue. We're seeing mm -hmm. people getting displaced that had lived in their neighborhood for decades and not able to live there anymore. And there were no protections in place. And so, um, you know, there was one moment I can think of in particular, uh, and that was, I was show, I would show up to city council every Tuesday. So if, uh, you know, if you guys get engaged, you'll be doing that too, to advocate on issues that were important to me. Um, and I remember we were advocating to try to open up some of the city-owned buildings that were empty because everybody was working from home. And we're like, hey, we got people on the streets. We have these empty buildings that the city owns. Why don't we work with nonprofits and get people into these uh, shelters, use them as a shelter and get them into services? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I won't name any names, but there was, you know, a, a council member up there that basically said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We um, we gotta wait. We gotta talk to the developers first. That's not fair to them, uh, as if they could be turned into something commercial or for profit. And I just was like, what? <laughs> right. Um, so that was the moment for me. I, that was it. Was in that moment that I decided to run because I was I thought you know we need someone who's gonna stand up for renters, who's gonna stand up for workers, who's gonna stand up for people on our streets okay. um, who don't have a voice. Okay. So that well, was that, a really long answer. That's so dope. No, Jada. <laughs> yeah. No, I had uh, two quick questions to ask. So while you were so you had mentioned that you were a runaway. Did you still have uh, go through high school having to experience being a runaway? Yeah. So um, another fun fact about me. So I actually um, started working in the restaurants when I was 15. So I was already working um, at waiting tables. And mm -hmm. then I started taking college classes at night. Um, and so part of that was, you know, in part because of some of the struggles I had at home. I really wanted to create a foundation for myself so that I could leave should I need to. And I did need to at that time. Um, so actually, by the time I left, um, it was right around the same time period, I graduated high school early. So I was 16 years old and I was in community oh. college and I was working in restaurants and then I was out on my own. Uh, it's not, a, not an experience I recommend for most people. But Were was, you emancipated? How were you able to do all that at 16? So um, I was not emancipated. Uh, I actually remember I tried to become emancipated and um, one of my parents signed the paperwork and actually, um, you know, now have a really close relationship with my dad. It's taken a lot of years to to rebuild relationships with my family and overcome some of the trauma and all these things. But I remember um, this is one of the things I thank him for all the time. I was like, you need to sign this because I can't, um, I won't be able to get an apartment. I won't be able to do a lot of things because I'm not emancipated. So, you know, she, and he said, you know what, I'm not going to do it. And let me tell you why. Um, at that time, that was right after, that was shortly after um, Obama had included being on, on your parents' health care until 26. Mm. So I, of course, being a teenager was like, healthcare. I don't need that. <laughs> um, my dad was like, if I do this, if, if you're emancipated, you're no longer going to be able to be on my healthcare. And okay. so he ended up not signing it. And I thank him for that because if I had not done that, 
I'm sure there were a lot of situations where I would have probably been in medical debt. And and I worked in an industry, in the restaurant industry, where you don't get healthcare. Um, and so. And before you move on, you guys know what emancipation is, right? It's like when you, um, I don't know, remove yourself from a household, like make yourself legal enough because you're not connected to anybody that you can do adult things at a minor age. That's great. So it's a legal filing. It's a way that if you're someone who's under the age of 18, you can file uh, to say, basically say, hey, I'm an adult. Like my, my parents are taking care of me. I'm taking care of me. And it opens you up because right, if you're not emancipated and you're under the age of 18, you can't do certain things like you can't right. buy a car. You can't go and, you know, get an apartment. There's a lot of things you can't do. So, okay. Um, yeah. And it looks like we have some questions. Uh, Melissa. Um, first of all, I wanted to say that your, your story is really inspiring. And the reason that you're running, this is, you know, some people just run to run because they want to have power. <laughs> on, girl. Like, the reason that you're, <laughs> the reason that you're running is really inspiring and you want to make a difference. So I wanted to ask about the position you're running for. What does it entail? How does it relate back to the things that you want to change and do? Sure. So city of Sacramento, uh, it's the city council. So basically what that is, is everything that's underneath the umbrella of the city. So that's the things that you mentioned earlier, like the the, the streets, the lights, garbage pickup, water, all that stuff, making sure that those things are given out uh, equitably, equitably to all citizens in the city of Sacramento. But it's also big picture stuff, too. So one of the things we hear about a lot is like homelessness, for example. The city has a responsibility to deal with homelessness and housing in particular. And so that's one issue. I believe that those are tied together. Um, and we know I, I've not only running a nonprofit in this space, but doing a lot of research in this space over the years, most people would say that the two biggest issues related to homelessness are, you know, mental health and, and drug and alcohol addiction. Um, we actually know based on data and research that those, just like there are people who have homes who have mental health issues and addictions to drug and alcohol, um, so do people who don't have homes. The only thing that differentiates people is whether or not they have a roof over their head. And so we know in cities where there's a lack of affordable housing, so Sacramento is one of those places, um, we see the highest rates of homelessness. So if we're really going to address the issue, we have to address the housing issue. We have to make sure that there's places that people can afford to live, that there are plenty of them, and then also that we're protecting renters, right? We're protecting people to stay in their homes. So that's something I'm really, really focused on uh, is making sure that we have those protections and that we're building affordable housing. Anaya. Hello. Um, so my question was, you mentioned that you're really big on housing and the homelessness, I would say, problem that we have. So I live in Sacramento, and when I'm driving with my parents, I notice a lot of new apartment buildings being built, but I don't hear or see about, like, housing to help people who are houseless. So I was wondering if and when you get elected and you, like, win, um, would you be able to control what happens to the housing? Because for me, um, I think like there's a lot of people who don't have who are homeless. However, there are still being apartments being built for people who have opportunities to move. Mm. So I was wondering, how are you going to help that problem, or do you have any control of what happens to those new apartment buildings being built? That's a really good question, um, and I and I want to backtrack a little bit because I think it'll be uh, useful in understanding. So the city council is made up of eight elected members that are each from a district. So District Five obviously encompasses all the neighborhoods that I mentioned earlier. All the other seven districts also have their own neighborhoods that they represent. And then there's then there's the mayor, which is at large. So the entire city elects the mayor. Um, so in order to get things passed, you need five votes. Um, and that's, that's the magic number. That's the number of people that you need to get to agree with your position to move things forward, whether that's things like affordable housing or solutions on homelessness or anything else. Um, so that's an important place to start. And that's why it's really important to not only elect individuals 
um, that care about the issues that they, that you care about, but also making sure that we have enough individuals that are aligned on those policies and those positions, that vision, that we can get things done. And so we, as you can see on the city council, there's two, three, um, there's, there's a voting block that's, I would say, not big enough right now to get some of the issues that, we, that we're talking about here, especially things like affordable housing and low-income housing passed. And that's why it's really important what's happening here, right? So this race, uh, Council District 1 is also up for re-election and Council District 3. So if we can get those seats and we can get five people that all agree, mm -hmm. then we can make real, real change in Sacramento. Um, and then specifically on, on housing, so we have two kind of, in my mind, two big issues. One is supply. Um, we know we don't have enough supply, period, across the board. You can look at everything that's been put out by the state, everything by the federal government and by the city. Um, we just don't have enough supply relative to demand because we're not building fast enough. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One is that we make it kind of hard to build. Um, just in general, we make it expensive. And there's really, it's a very um, long process to be able to go through that. That's something I want to work on is how do we make it easier, especially for people who want to build affordable housing and low-income housing, but also focusing specifically on those things. Like right now, the only thing that pencils out for developers, as they would say it, basically making financial sense for them, is what's called market rate housing. So housing that's probably what you've seen, it's really fancy high rises, $3,000 plus a month for rent. Who can afford that? I can't. Mm -hmm. um, and But that's all that's being built. So we have a responsibility as a city, as a region, to come together and create incentives for people to build housing that's actually affordable for people. Uh, so that's something I really want to focus on. And I would have um, say over, should I be able to get those votes? I think we can. We can work together. Building consensus is important to me. Hopefully that answers your question. Yes, it does. Thank you. Samuel? So my question was, um, when, when you get elected, or if, if or when, you get elected to city council, what specific bills would you like to get um, voted on and kind of addressed by the city council when you become elected? That's a really good question. So I recently put out uh, what I'm calling my, a new deal for district five. So it's, it's my policy platform. Um, and this is based on, uh, in a few weeks, it'll be two whole years that I've been on the campaign trail. Um, so since I decided to run to when the election comes around, um, and in that time, especially leading up to the primary, which is the election that happened in June, um, I knocked on over 10,000 doors. So we, and we talked to thousands of people. We said, what's, what's going on? What do you need? Um, what, what issues are you experiencing in your community? And so this platform is what came out of those conversations. Number one thing that I heard from people that they're concerned about homelessness. They're really worried that, um, one, there's, they're, Nobody wants to see someone suffering on the streets, right? That's where the number one thing that I hear from people is, I don't want to walk by when we live in the capital city of the fifth largest economy in the world, that we can't find a place for people to have their basic needs met, right? That, uh -huh. that doesn't make sense to me either. Um, and so my plan on homelessness is, is one where we have to work together. So we need the city and the county at a minimum to work together, if not um, jurisdictions all over our region. And I'm going to try to simplify it as much as possible, but there's two really important things that we have to do. One is we have to create a plan. So that sounds really simple, but that's something that's actually never been done from, from a strategic standpoint in the city and uh, the city and the county is how many people need, do we need to serve? What do they need? Do they need housing? Do they need mental health care treatment? Do they need drug and alcohol treatment? Um, are they escaping domestic violence? Are they an LGBTQ youth that is a, that left home? All of those things are going to require different solutions, right? So then we're, we need to plan for that. We need to say, okay, what resources do we need to put in? Um, number two is we have to pull all of our resources together. 
what I'm hearing from the city manager and from the city in general is that we don't have enough money to do this on our own. The city can't. We literally will go bankrupt. And so that's why it's even more important that we have to put our funding, our funding together. Fun fact, I don't know if you know this, the county's budget is almost seven times larger than the city's. Mm-hmm. But most people don't even know where the county building is or how to get involved because their meetings are pretty hard to access. So homelessness, housing, we already talked about. We have to build more. I'm going to focus on that. Um, really quality jobs. So something else that I'm hearing is that there are many neighborhoods in District 5 where the average income is less than $20,000 a year. That is really hard for people to put gas in their car, put food on the table for their families, pay their rent, on and on and on. So we have to work to build pathways where people don't, don't have to get into debt. I'm still in student loan debt, um, mm-hmm. where they can access quality, high-paying jobs. So I'm, I want to build out apprenticeship programs. I'm really, pr- I'm really proud to be endorsed by a lot of unions, including trade unions. And I'm like, Wait, let's get people into union jobs, get them, get them paid up. And then last, I'll just say, um, really focused on um, uh, supporting small businesses as well. So another fun fact about me, I, I'm a small business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, I own a consulting business. It's just me. Um, but I help other businesses navigate planning and building and get permitted, not in the city of Sacramento, but in other cities. And um, so I know that it's really hard to run a business. And uh, we need to we need to create more pathways for people to be able to access that. So you can start a business someday. So you can start a business someday if you want uh, and be successful. So hopefully that answers your question. I know that was kind of long winded. Well, and and I'm looking at your new deal for Sacramento right now. And, you know, it says also um, it looks like you have three platform, three things on your platform, um, housing, protecting our environment and public safety. On the website. Uh huh. Right here. Here's what she's going to fight for. Oh, there's more. Uh, it, there's more. Okay. So there's actually five. There's five there's, bullet points. Okay. Five bullet points. Um, so I didn't talk to me all. about the the protecting the environment, and we can go to public safety after. Perfect. That. Perfect. Yeah. And so sorry. I know I have a. I always feel like I'm talking too long. So sorry if I don't capture no, everything. Fine. You're fine. I appreciate it. So yeah, in terms of the environment, so I'm really proud to be endorsed by groups like the Sunrise Movement. I don't know if you've heard of them at all. Okay, you sh- if you're if you're interested, you should look it up. The Sunrise Movement is a youth-led movement, so it's all young people um, who are believe that climate change is one of the most important issues that's facing their future and the future of this planet. And they they are fighting together to change laws from the federal level, actually the international level, all the way down. Um, and they're fighting for what's called a Green New Deal. Hmm. So they're they're saying, hey, uh, not related to my New Deal for Sacramento. <laughs> Um, and they're saying, hey, we need to create a future that all of us can live in. And that means that we need to transition away from our reliance on fossil fuels. So creating green jobs, making sure that people have you know, access to quality public transportation. That's really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the city of Sacramento has, I would say, lackluster uh, pu- uh, tra- public transportation. Um, most people do not use it. We have a ridership that's very low, like less than 2%. Um, and to me, that's really sad because there's cities all over the U.S. That, that I visited that have amazing and robust public transportation, and it's a great way to save money to and the environment, right? So mm-hmm. we had quality public transportation like light rail that went from the south area of the district to the urban core that went to places like the airport that went to the places that people need to go to, right? You. you would, and it was consistent. <laughs> the other, the other key is that it's consistent, right? Because yeah. we do have some, but the reason why I hear from a lot of people that it's not being used is that it doesn't come as often as they need to, or they can't rely on it to get them to the place that they need to go on time. So that's so crucial. I really want to work on that. Um, and that's another issue where we're going to need funding for. So, um, you know, there's, well, a- you know, honestly, it seems like people find funding for the things that are important to them. Yeah. Uh, and this city is no, uh, 
is not any different than that. Now, I said I was going to come to you, and I just started talking. So let me come to you. Did you have a question? I, I apologize. So it was back on the housing. <laughs> so for housing, what is one of the because we everybody says that they they know housing is bad, but what are some of the main points that's like the main oppositions? I should say. Mm. Like, what are some mm. of the main? I mean, we can we it? can actually talk about who's spending a whole lot of money to make sure she's not getting elected. Mm. Anytime you see oh. that the the developers coming hard against the candidate, that's somebody who's trying to change something for the development industry. Yeah, as a whole, the real estate industry as a whole. So. Ahead, so there that. are sources. Um, <laughs> that is a really good question. So there are, and to, to your point, um, I'm running my campaign very explicitly not taking money from certain sources. So um, one group of those is, is developers. Um, and, and the reason being is this is not because I'm anti-development. I think we need to, obviously we need to build, right? We need development. But what I heard from my community is that they have concerns about how things are being built, where things are being built, what types of things are being built, and they don't always feel a part of the process. And so for me, being unbiased, um, if I'm you know fortunate to be elected to this position, is really crucial because I need the community to know that I'm going to have their back. That when I have a decision before me, I'm not biased because I took you know a five thousand dollar check from someone when I was campaigning. That I'm there, I'm going to have their best interests at heart, hmm. and so that's why I choose not to do that. Um, but unfortunately, people uh, in the real estate and development industry feel that as though that is an attack if I don't take their money, which is, seems kind of silly to me, but. They do. And so they spent over $100,000 in the primary trying to um, defeat me. Uh, they put out seven different pieces of attack ads or mail that were false or misleading about me. And it was really hard. Um, but that was that's a part of how it, how it works in politics. How do you deal with that? Like, how, <laughs> does, somebody, like, how does yes. somebody deal with <laughs> having misleading information sent out to all the people that you're trying to help? Well, I'll say first... Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know how to get into all these issues. So I, another fun thing about me is I, I, if I'm elected, I'll be the youngest person on the council. Um, I'll be at, one of the youngest. At what age? I'm 31. 31. So um, if, uh, if I'm elected, uh, I will also be the, uh, one of the youngest ever elected in the city of Sacramento. Um, and so I think for me, I have a very different way of, I think a lot of young people do have a, have a different way of approaching um, being more forthright about our feelings and emotions like yeah. than I think my, my parents were or their parents were. Yeah. And so I'm just open about it. I'm like, it hurts my feelings, man. It, it really did not feel good to see my face on things but about with lies about me, things that were just straight up not true at all. Um, there was one where they took a picture of my face and put like a money arrow pointing at my face. Um, and I, I, it hurt. Um, I, I definitely went, especially campaigning is hard enough as it is. Like in those times, I was in a very like sad place. Um, but what I was able to do is make a joke about it. Because when I sat down, I talked to my friends, I called my family and I was like, oh, you know, then I realized I'm like, this is so silly. And P I know that people are smart. I know that people are smart enough to see through mm -hmm. this. Right. You would hope. Yeah. Because yeah. um, if you scroll down to the bottom of the mailer, it says paid for by the Realtors Association. So I would just talk to people and there were people that were mad. I had people call me and say, take your lawn sign out of my lawn. I'm not voting for you anymore. I'm so upset. And I'd have to go back to their house, knock on their door and talk with them and say, hey, um, just go look at the bottom of this mailer. Why do you think that uh, an organization that employs nine different lobbyists mm. is uh, putting on a mailer calling me a lobbyist as though that's a bad, you know, like, mm. let's think about that. I was like, let me tell you why I think they're doing it. I think they're doing it because I support affordable housing. I support tenant protections. And I want to make sure that people can stay in their homes and afford to live in the city. And I think that, unfortunately, as an organization, they benefit from the status quo. 
Mm. People don't want things to change. Mm. Uh, and I represent that. So, um, you know, and then on the point, so that's a big part of it. Block, blocking from bit special interest groups. Mm -hmm. They block these types of affordable and low-income housing projects because they make more money on the more expensive ones. Um, and then also you have homeowners and people in the neighborhoods. So they're um, sometimes people are referred to as NIMBYs or not in my backyard. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I don't like to use that term because I think people sometimes have really valid reasons why they might not want something nearby their home. Um, but that's a huge reason why a lot of affordable housing projects do not get built is the neighborhood will come out and say, no, because they believe that it's going to lower their home values or bring crime, crime or mm -hmm. all these things. Mm -hmm. And you know what I say? None of that is supported by the data at all. In fact, we know that when you look at cities where they build more affordable housing, home prices go up. We know that, that we actually crime goes down, right? You have more people. We know all these things. And so that's why it's really important to have strong leaders that are willing to stand up and who are okay if they get a lot of criticism from people in the yeah. neighborhoods coming to them because I can be like, okay, I hear you. Um, but I'm still going to move forward with this because it's the right thing to do and we need more affordable housing. And just so um, the folks that are listening right now, I see there's quite a few people listening right now. We are kicking in with Miss Katie Maple today right here on Black versus the Board of Education. If you have a question, go ahead and put it in the chat and we will get to it. But I'm seeing that Samuel has another question. So, Sam, your next question, please. So I was going to ask with all of the NPOs you are um involved with how would you when when you're elected how would you stay in touch and stay connected with those NPOs that's a really good question and I actually have the same answer regardless of if, if it's uh, nonprofit organizations small businesses people in my community um, neighborhood associations so um, one thing that I've committed to in every single interview that I've been in and um, this is what I want to do like day one in office if I'm elected is create what's called a community cabinet or a community council and so that's going to have representatives from everywhere, right? So that's the different neighborhoods, different, different ethnic groups, um, different abilities, different languages, you name it, all across the board, churches, nonprofits, small businesses, neighborhood associations, because I recognize that I'm just one person. I only have my one perspective, and I'm not going to know everybody else's experience. And it's my job, um, especially being in a position like that, to make sure that everyone's at the table and they're a part of the decision-making process. So one other key element is that I've heard from talking to people and nonprofits is that they often feel like decisions happen to them. So they don't know about something before it's at council. It impacts them in some way. And then they find out after the fact, after it's already been voted on and it's and they can't do anything about it. Mm. So really bringing the information to people in advance and saying, hey, not only am I missing something, is there something here that I'm not seeing because I'm not you because I'm not you? But is there, um, is there something in here that needs to change? Like being a part of that process and having it be very collaborative is important to me. So that's that's something that I would like to do and, and have absolutely be all of those organizations be a part of the process, including you. <laughs> He's like, uh-huh. <laughs> Anaya. <laughs> so my question is, how have you ensured that people know your name, your face, and your goals? I know, I, I know you mentioned that you would go to houses the people who called you upset about um, the propaganda, but I'm wondering how have you connected with the communities to know that people know who you are? Really good question. So we're doing a few different things and these are just what most campaigns do. So one is sending mail. Um, we haven't sent any yet for this time around, but it's a really good way to connect with people because, um, because not everybody's going to answer their door or not everybody's home all the time. A lot of people are working two and three jobs and taking care of their families. Um, not everybody's going to answer your phone call. So you just need at least one thing where it's like, here, this is my name. This is what I'm trying to do. I try to always direct people to my website because we try to keep the most up-to-date information there, changes that we've made to the platform. We have events that are coming up, everything, you know, and about me. 
so people can learn who I am. But I also have a contact form on there. People can literally contact me directly and anyone from the community at all can send it and it goes directly to my email. Like I give my cell phone number out to everybody. Um, but every- you don't want to change that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But I think being um, accessible is really important to me because that's one of the other things that I heard from people is that they don't always feel like um, their council member is accessible to them. They call the email, they can't get a response, they get punted over to staff and they just don't feel as though they're being heard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, you know, I'm young, I have energy, I want to be in there and I have time. I'm, I want to be accessible and to, to listen and to hear people and to make sure that I'm willing to, to do the work. Um, the other thing that we're doing is we're going door to door every day. I'm outside, I'm out knocking on doors every day. Um, every Saturday and Sunday, we have huge groups of people that go out. So meeting people where they are is important. Um, mm. Not everyone's going to make it out to your event. Not everyone's going to, you know, come to the barbecue. Yeah. Not everyone's going to come to church. Not everyone's going to. So you have to make sure that you're you're connecting to them at the space that's most they're most likely to be at. But you're also doing all those other things, right? You're going to the farmers markets. You're going to all the community events. You're going to churches. You're you're doing everything that you need to do to make sure you get the word out. Um, and it's it takes up a lot of time. <laughs> Honestly, I just want to applaud you for the effort that you're putting in to make sure that you have a relationship with the community that you want to serve. Because I feel like a lot of people want to go into the office, but they don't want to connect with the people who they want to serve. So when they want to place a law or make a bill pass or something like that and people don't agree, it's because we don't really know where you stand to be 100% like, oh, I know their intentions are good for the community. I can trust that whatever they're doing, I, they have my full support in it. And I just, yeah, I just wanted to really commend you on that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's hard. Um, and, you know, another thing that I've heard, too, is that, you know, sometimes somebody will come and knock on your door and ask for your vote, and then you'll never see them again. Facts. Right. So that's another. Or they come to the churches. Don't do that. Don't yeah, don't yeah. go to the churches talking about, I need your vote, and then I don't never. see you for four years, and then you come back to the church talking about, I'm going to need that vote. Mm-hmm. We're not doing that no more. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm that's why it's really important, you know, to yeah. make sure that you're, that you're that you're out in the community regardless every day. Yeah. And I see Melissa has another question and I don't know what Sam is doing with his hands. Were you telling me you wanted to ask something or what no, was that? I'm making sure I'm not, my camera's not behind because it's, because it's seeming like it's lagging in and out. So I was trying oh. to see. And we also have a question in the comments. I did see the question in the comments. So I'm going to go to Melissa first and then I will read you the question that's in the comments. So my question is, if you unfortunately don't get elected, what can you or people in general, because there's people who are like you who are not running for positions of power who have these ideas and things that are really important that can change the communities they live in, but they don't know how to go about making those changes. So if you don't get elected, how will you or people in general take steps to bring these ideas to light? Wow, that is such a good question. Thank you. Um, well, one, for me personally, I'm going to be out there no matter what. So I've been I've been doing work for 10 plus years, really involved in the community, really involved in advocacy, especially in Sacramento. That's um, not only like my professional background, but it's also what I do in my spare time. Don't ask me why. I uh, just have always believed that there's a lot of power when people come together um, and we've gotten a lot of things done. So there's, I'll bring a couple of examples. Everyone can have an impact on their community. Everyone can be a part of the process and being in an elected position is only the, the smallest part. I'd say the community being together and the things that they can do are so much more powerful um, and you can make change that way. So here's a good example of, the, um, of how an individual can make change. So when uh, there was a point in time, this was a few years ago, when all of the benches were removed from K Street uh, because mm-hmm. they wanted, they didn't say this out loud, but they, they didn't want homeless people sitting on the benches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not only was that really bad for people riding transit because they didn't have anywhere to sit, not to mention people who may be disabled, um, 
it was really harmful to people who just wanted a place to rest, right? We were like, we're, we're harming people who um, have done nothing wrong. It's not illegal to be homeless. Um, and they were struggling. And so, um, you know, I, I advocated not only at the city level for them to bring it back, I went out and I went to um, thrift stores and I picked up as many chairs as I could. And I loaded up my car until like the, the, the legs were sticking out of the, the, the windows. And we lined up um, chairs all along K Street with laminated signs on them. Uh, that said, don't remove these chairs. These are for people to, to rest. Everybody has a right to rest. Mm. Um, and within, there was, you know, the news, the media came out. And then within, I think it was a week, they put the benches back. Like, that's something you can do. Direct action, um, anyone can do. And that's what I've done kind of my whole life. I've been really involved in that way. And and then building power by organizing is also really important. So if you see something that you want to have happen, whether it's, you know, I want to get a, a law passed at City Hall or at the state legislature or I want to, you know, do brings. I want to bring a library to my community. That's a great example. I'm working with someone right now on on that. Getting as many people as possible together to organize under one issue and write letters, call their elected officials, and donate money can have a huge impact, and you can make it happen. So uh, anyone can do that. It doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter like you can do it. And I and I think that that's how uh, I would love to see more people in, involved in the community. And I'm also willing to help anybody who's interested in learning about organizing and advocacy do that work awesome so let me go to the question in the chat it says what's one challenge that you faced and how did you overcome it and if you're elected what's one big challenge that you foresee those are good questions um so one of them we talked about already which is um that you know i i left home at a young age and was unhoused when i was younger mm -hmm. um that was a really big challenge for me um damn it, it's so broad um, well, I mean, even running for office, let's, this is, let, let's just to be very real. This is one of the biggest challenges I've ever taken on in my entire life. Um, I have, and having had a lot of big challenges, um, and some days you do want to give up. Like, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say there wasn't a day over the last two years that I was like, what am I doing? And why? <laughs> and why? Yeah, <laughs> why did because, I do this to me? <laughs> um, you're putting yourself in a position where everything you do is criticized, right? So before I used to make decisions and I just made them and it was just my life. Now, uh, you know, everything I say or do, including probably things that I'll say today, will I'll get phone calls, I'll get texts, I'll get people on the internet saying, oh my God, Katie said this. Um, so you just have to get really good at taking. I'm trying to think what you said. I'm like, what's... nah, everything, anything, <laughs> can be taken anything. out of context. Literally, yeah, literally. Like, I, I'll show yeah. you sometime of like I could say I, the sky is blue and like you know, this, like, there's just because the, that's one of the yeah, that's one of the you know the risks that you take of going yeah. into you know being being known by more people and then add in social media on top oh. of that. Oh my gosh, it's successful sometimes, right? We know yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way I overcome it is by reminding myself every day why I'm doing it. Um, you can't do something like this um, if you're not very rooted in why mm -hmm. and your, your passion and where, you know, that sense of um, like what's important to you. Because if you don't, you, you will not be successful. Not only will people see right through you, um, but you won't have the strength to carry on to do the things that you need to do. And so that's that's a big part that for me, that's, that's the challenge and the overcome. I lean in every day and just remind myself even when, on the hard days. And then what was the third part of that question? The third part of the Sorry. question was if you are elected, what's one big challenge that oh. you foresee? Um, one big challenge. Let's see. There's a lot of big challenges um, that will be before me. Um, okay. Here's a big one. Um, so I recently learned uh, that the city's financial outlook is not looking great. Uh, mm -hmm. Meaning that, you know, 
we won't even have what's called a mid-year mid-year budget, most likely, meaning that the extra spending money to do for other things that we're going to have to probably pare back our spending and in, in if I'm elected in those years that I'm elected. And it's always really tough. I have big ideas, right? Like people, sometimes people think my ideas are too big. Uh, that's one of the criticisms that I get. Um, and so if you want to solve things like homelessness and you want more affordable housing and, you know, make sure the parks are great and that there's public transit and all these things that, that we want, um, you know, having a smaller than expected budget is a, is a huge, huge challenge. So it's going to be, um, it's going to be really incumbent on me or whomever comes into office that they work together with their colleagues um, and make sure that they can come to a consensus about what can be done and what the priorities are, because um, it's not it's not promised that we'll have right. a, a big budget. Interesting. Samuel, you said you have another question. Is that what I see? What's yeah. your question, love? Besides um, homelessness and housing, what is your second biggest issue that you want to face when you are if you are elected as city council? Ooh, well, one of the one of the other ones we touched on already, and that's um, what I like to say, environmental justice. Right. So um, I live literally right next to the, the Highway 99. Um, looking, I look at the freeway from my house in Oak Park. Um, we have some of the worst air quality in the region all throughout District 5, um, especially in places like next to the, the executive airport. Mm -hmm. um, and that means things like childhood asthma. That means things like, you know, lower life expectancy and outcome for people. Um, and, and so for me, I'm really interested in making sure that we can craft policies from across the board that's increasing walkability and walkability. Um, so like bike lanes, making sure that people are safe, um, reducing car traffic, making it safer for people to be on the roads because people aren't driving a million miles an hour and like clogging up the roads. Um, and public transit, again, is a really, really important component of that. Like we're only going to we're only going to have to have the, the future that we want for everyone, for, for you. Um, if we start to really think about it and be um, be steadfast in our commitment to reduce our reliance on cars. And so let me ask you this, because I always hear uh, when people start to talk about gentrification, right? They said the way that you know that a neighborhood is being gentrified are you see a Starbucks and you start to see bike lanes. So going back to your bike lane comment. <laughs> I've seen that. Um, That's the funny part is I've seen that. <laughs> so tell me again why these bike lanes are such a huge uh, deal. Because um, when... it's, it's about safety too, right? Okay. So um, I think about places like, well, they're putting in bike lanes along Franklin Boulevard soon. Mm -hmm. So excited for that. We hope to see them also along Freeport. Um, as you have these these roads that where people are traveling incredibly fast on their cars and people, we our city of Sacramento has some of the highest rates of um pedestrian on vehicle fatalities mm. in the U.S. So okay. people are getting hit by cars while they're walking and on their mm. bikes and so on, uh, and they're dying. And so okay. that's a component. We have to do that. And the other thing is creating ways that people can get to and from the places that they need to go, whether mm. that's like work or school or something else in a way where they're not relying on their car. Um, so, you know, I, I think that like there's a lot of things that are tied to gentrification too. Like, you know, we see like the cost of housing go up. We see mm -hmm. that, you know, all these uh, for example, the one, once a kombucha shop opened up, I was like, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> or the Whole Foods, you know? Right? And so I think, you know, it's good to have amenities. Everybody yeah. deserves to have access Absolutely. to really quality things. It's just making sure, for me, that the, it's making sure that people can afford to stay where they've right. lived, right? And, and, and like take advantage of the that. amenities exactly. that are being brought to the area. That's why it's frustrating. I can only, like, like you know, if you, you've lived in a neighborhood for your entire yeah. life, maybe, and some people in my neighborhood have lived there for generations, like their yeah. grandparents, their grandpa grandparents, their yeah. parents, and now they're seeing, you know, great additions, these things that they want to participate in, except for now they can't afford to live there because rent just went up two or three times. 
Yeah. Right. So that's why it all goes back to like making sure that we're protecting people, protecting them, allowing them to stay in their homes, tenant protections, affordable yeah. housing, all of that. Do you think you could explain why that happens? Because I've never understood why you add good resources to a community and then take out the community and put a new one in mm. it instead of allowing the community to appreciate what you gave them. And before you before you answer, um, Anaya, you're going to jump in after this. And then, Sam, you're going to come after Anaya, just so we can put that in order the right order. now. Love it. Go ahead. Um, so the reason why it's so, I think, insidious is because it happens so slowly. So we can see what happens at the end, right? We can see what's happened to neighborhoods once it's been a, a wholesale changeover. But what the result, that result is the result of many, many years yeah. of somebody moving in. Mm -hmm. So in my neighborhood in particular, like, you know, um, it's a predominantly black neighborhood that's now gentrifying and has been for a decade plus now. And so you have people who, you know, it's a lot of, uh, I would say absentee landlords, right? So people are renting homes from these people. Um, they don't live in that neighborhood. They don't care about it because they haven't lived there in years. And this is a, a um, investment property for them. And so when they see that, that people who have higher incomes, like, so the Bay area, people moving in from the Bay area during the pandemic yep. was a huge component of that. So like, you have people who, are, if you work in San Francisco, your salary is going to be twice as much as mine, no matter what, if we have the same exact job, because the cost of living there is so high. Mm. So you had all these people that are paying $4,000 a month for a tiny little bedroom in San Francisco, and then the pandemic hits. And now they are um, making a lot of money, but they can live wherever they want because they're working remotely. So yeah. those people were like, I'm not living in this apartment anymore. They're looking in Sacramento and they're like, I can buy a house uh, in this neighborhood for $200,000, $300,000, whatever it is. And so those people start moving in. Um, and so that, then they're flipping the houses. That's another component of it. So people who are, so the, the people who own those as investments or what they view to be investments are now like, wait, I've got dollar signs in my eyes. I think I can make twice as much if I just yeah. throw, throw a new coat of paint on here and put in a fancy, you know, red door or something and people are going to come and buy it. And that's what happened. And it happened over and over and over and over again. And because we didn't have protections in place to make sure that we weren't the rents weren't skyrocketing, right? So there was something called rent control that was on the ballot um, that did not pass in Sacramento. It's unfortunate because a lot of people were not able to stay in their homes um, and then landlords are able to raise their rents yep. uh, at an astronomical rate. And so I'm glad that we do have some tenant protections now. Those came about during the pandemic. They say that you can only, landlords can only raise rent a certain amount per year and that that amount is tied to the cost of living, but it's a lot. I mean, this year I think it's 10%. Like if my rent goes up 10%, I don't think I can afford that. And that's a lot of people's story as well. And so I think it's all about balance. We have to have protections in place to make sure that the people who, are, who make up the fabric of the community can stay in the community. But we're still enticing, you know, um, investment to come in so that you can enjoy those amenities. And that's all about foresight, you know. Who's that? Sam? Again? Since Anaya says she'll wait. Oh, I was responding to Melissa's comment. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to add a comment to something that was said. Um, I about gentrification. I live right in the middle of gentrification. I live in Inglewood, and the SoFi Stadium, where the last Super Bowl was held, is down the street from my house. So I'm watching that happen and watching people moving out and not being able to leave for that entire weekend that the Super Bowl happened. And because of that, people are leaving because this is not being built for the people that live here. It's being built for mm. another generation of people that are going to come in. The, the prices of houses are going higher. So like, it's not being built for the people that live here. These people that live here 
me, my family, and all the people that I know that live here are being priced out of our own neighborhood because the SoFi Stadium and all of the different things that are being built here. So just yeah. wanted to relate back to what you were saying. Like I live right in the middle of gentrification. Wow. Wow. So you're seeing you're seeing what's happening firsthand, and that's a really good example. Um, and, and that actually reminded me of one other thing that I wanted to say, which is um, and something that I hopefully would like to push for if, if elected is we have to create pathways to home ownership for people too, mm. right? Um, so a part of the reason why this happens is people are not able to access that that part of the American dream, right? They're not able to buy their homes since they're renting for years and years and years. I was a renter for a long time too. I never thought I was going to buy a house. Um, the biggest issue, the biggest barriers that come with buying a house are usually a down payment, and that was it for me. I like I didn't have great credit either, but you know you're <laughs> sometimes. I mean that helps. Um, but <laughs> if you don't have, you know. Twenty, yeah. thirty thousand dollars, which I never did, uh, to to put down as a down payment for a house, you can't access that. But you're saying you're paying the same, if not more, in rent, in rent yep. than you would a mortgage, right? Mm. So we create these barriers. almost double mm -hmm. in some cases. And so I think about um, it's something called first right of refusal, right? So um, for families that live, um, and then also pairing that with uh, with um, giving with a grant for down payment assistance. Give, making it so that if you're someone who has an investment property, we just talked about that, right? Which is probably a lot of maybe some of the homes in your neighborhood um, that and they can't just they can't just kick you out and sell it to whoever they want. If they have to give you the first right of refusal, the first opportunity to buy the home because you live in the home, and then we pair with that the opportunity for people to get down payment assistance so that they can do that. That seems like a great pathway to me for people to not only um, you know stay and. In, in, continue to be a fabric of the neighborhood, but also build generational wealth, right? This is a huge component. We talk about this all the yeah. time. Um, so that I, I'm really interested in programs like that here in the city. Hmm. Anaya. So my question actually ties into gentrification of Oak Park. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Oak Park used to be a predominantly white neighborhood and then black people started in my incorrect black people started moving She's in. like i'm trying to came. i'm no historian but what i do know is that yes it used to be until um the development of the freeway system and redlining so mm -hmm. then that that yeah. is, so you may be familiar with that yeah. so, yeah, so, so you're right predominantly black neighborhood but now since white people are moving in again i see the gentrification happening there and like there was new stuff being built and it's like oh that wasn't there before but that's super cool so I see, I'm, I don't live in Oak Park, so I don't see firsthand like Melissa does, but I do notice, and my mom even tells me like, yeah, like this, it's it's happening like before us. So that leads me to my question, how are you going to help those people who have lived in those neighborhoods for years keep their housing if and when you're elected or help them to afford the housing that is being taken away? So good question. And and just all the things that I just mentioned, and that's a key reason why I ran as well, because I heard a lot of these concerns while I was on the board of the Neighborhood Association when this was happening. Um, there's a lot of um, tension and frustration in the neighborhood, and that frustration stems from not being able to, one, seeing the neighborhood that you've lived in, grown up in for years fundamentally change, and then not seeing protections put in place to make sure that you can stay there um, and that you're a part of that. And so I think that's all the things we talked about. That's making sure that, that rent doesn't skyrocket. So, you know, obviously rent control has been talked about. We need to do tenant protections. You need to make sure people can stay in their homes no matter what. Um, opportunities for people to access home ownership, right? So that way, uh, you know, you can't get... This happened on my street alone. Um, there was a guy who doesn't li even live in the state. He owned two houses right next to each other on my street. Hmm. Um, and he saw, you know, the, the opportunity for himself to make some money. And 
now those homes they kicked out all i believe 10 total tenants that were living in there um mm. they are painting it changing it flipping it and uh either reselling it or renting it out again and so those are like the small level things that are happening that we have to be able to step in and make sure that someone can't necessarily do that and that if they are that we have we have the opportunity as a community to come together and be a part of that process so when we talk about development um some of those new businesses that are coming in there's buildings that are being built one thing that we did as the neighborhood association was um fight to make sure that that we had a say in that so if there was a couple of buildings that they were going to build off of as off of some of the streets in a park that looked like spaceships basically it was like that same like really solid boring <laughs> um you know like architecture that you see in downtown and they're like this isn't our neighborhood that doesn't fit in here and so the, those developers had to come to the table and talk with people like again mm -hmm. you have power as a collective to to hold people accountable and that's why you need your information in advance so you could be a part of the process um and you need someone who's going to fight for that so that's what i'm going to do i think it's really important that that community is a part of the process of all development whether it's housing um or commercial development Neighborhood. And before we go to Sam, I just had a quick question because you made me think of something. So you said that before the developers would build something, they would have to come and talk to people. So when you have these developers coming in, do they also have to say a certain percentage of the jobs they're going to offer in that community will be reserved for residents of that community? Or is that something that we can put into your platform? I love that. Um, <laughs> so no, they don't have to. And in fact, they don't okay. even have to talk to you. They don't. Interesting. Um, but it's really good. It's it's good practice and it's what most of them do because if they don't, if they try to just do a project, they don't talk to the community at all, like it will get opposed. And mm -hmm. what they don't want is their project to be opposed. They want their project to be supported by the neighborhood, by the community. And so um, most people, if they're smart, will go to at least the neighborhood association, which mm -hmm. is why I'll just make a pitch. It's, it's really important to be involved in your neighborhood association. It doesn't sound that cool. It sounds kind of nerdy. It is kind of nerdy but it is the ground level floor of all the decision-making. That's where everyone goes because they assume that that's the place where the community is going to get their feedback from. If they don't know the neighborhood, they're going to go and they're going to go talk to the neighborhood association. So if you're a part of that, you're able to be a part of that decision-making process and bring that information back to your neighbors and your family. Um, and you just reminded me of something um, important. So um, there was a group called Sacramento Investment Without Displacement. Hmm. You might be familiar with this. So there's a really, really big project that's happening um, in the district and nearby. It's called Aggie Square. Um, and it's going to be the single largest investment in Sacramento in I think like 20 or 30 years. So they're building this big campus. It's going to have like tech. It's going to have all this cool stuff. Um, and that UC Davis is building that. Mm -hmm. And so they were going to move forward on it. And this group uh, was developed and it was neighborhood associations and unions and nonprofits and all these people that basically said, wait a minute. Um, this is the single biggest investment, but like, what are you doing to invest in the communities directly surrounding this project? Right. And the answer was there wasn't anything in there at that point. And so that they came together and they held them to account and they basically made them, they asked them to sign what's called a community benefits agreement. So this community benefits agreement says, hey, we're going to do local hire. We're going to hire from the community directly surrounding it. We're going to make sure that people who live in the community have opportunities to go to our school to be a part of this campus. Um, we're going to make sure that there's housing for people. Uh, because we know that's a huge issue and especially in Oak Park, they're like, um, we're already in a housing crisis. You already have this issue where people are getting displaced at rapid rates and the cost of housing is skyrocketing. This is only going to make it worse. You have all mm -hmm. these people that are coming in and they right. don't have where they're going to live. Um, so of course they're going to go into Oak Park, they're going to go to all these surrounding communities. And so, um, so that was a, that was a big, um, that was the community coming together and holding them to account and it worked. Um, so they signed that agreement and that was the first time that something that big had happened. And so now, um, I believe Councilmember Valenzuela um, and and maybe my thing as well is working on 
putting enshrining that into um the city council ordinance and saying hey for projects over a certain size you have to do a community benefits agreement you have to work directly with the community to make sure that whatever you're building uh, not only fits in line with what people think should be in their community but benefits them directly that's dope mm -hmm. shout out to my bang and katie valenzuela i like it um so uh sammy has a question and then melissa and we have to hurry up because we're running out of time so sam okay quick question okay um what is your plan to prevent what is in your power what is your plan to prevent gentrification in sacramento that you have power over like that you can control as so not to Good question. Not to sound like a broken record, but a lot of the things that we just talked about, right? So like we need to make sure that we're one rents, uh, that, that landlords can't just raise rent and then kick you out, you know, at a moment's notice. We have to make sure that people can stay in their homes. Things like what's called just cause evictions. Like you can only evict someone if you have a just cause, not just because you want to make some more money. Um, making sure that there's pathways to home ownership for people so they can stay in their neighborhoods. It's another big one. And then working together as a community on uh, to make sure that we have the housing that we need that we can afford and that the projects that are being built are directly benefiting the community those are some big things that i see and those are the things you you would have direct power over yes and no so you know because I, I think that was what his question was a direct power over it so again i'll, I'll go back to your your one vote yep. at, on the city council so um you need to always have five uh, and that's how you get things done and so what i have power over is how i um hold myself and how i create relationships with other people uh, and build consensus. Because uh, if there's anything that I've learned and, you know, all in my years working in and around government, it's that you're never going to get everything you want on day one. Um, you really need to make sure that you have a long-term view. So what's your vision? The vision is the things that I've laid out for you. Do I think I'm going to accomplish all these things even in year run? No, absolutely not. Um, but I do think that if I can build great relationships, I can work together with members, other members of the council, then I can make a real um, difference over time by making sure that I have those votes that I need through that relationship building. So that's not like a great answer because of course we all want to hear that I'm going to change things on day one, but it is a realistic answer. Right. Well, that's we how want this, you to be realistic. This representative democracy 100%, works. 100%. Melissa, last question. Um, so I believe you said something before about the county's budget is larger, is I think seven times larger than the city's budget, right? That's about, yeah. So where is that money going? Because I know we see all of the, I know we see, we've talked about the houses and all of the new things that we're seeing, but there's still so many issues. So what, what, where's the disconnects? I know you're there to try and, and fix some of the problems, but like what, why? That is such a good question. And I'm glad you asked it. So the County Board of Supervisors, so the, so the city of Sacramento is here and then the county is the city is within the county of Sacramento. These are two separate entities, even though we're within the, the county. So I have a county supervisor that that, uh, that represents me from where I live. I also have a city council member, but they they control two separate budgets. They also have different responsibilities. So um, here's the big thing that you'll hear a lot from, you probably heard a lot from the city council members in, in particular in the last year, is that the county is responsible for health and human services. They're responsible for pu public health, for mental health, for addiction services, for any, yeah, so all of those things that we know are big issues, that's what the county's responsible for. And the reason why their budget is so much bigger is because they're the conduit. They're the, they're the place where all the money from the federal government and the state government goes to mm. for those things. And they disperse it to everybody else? Is that is They that how decide that how to spend it, just like okay. the city decides how to spend their money. And so this is the biggest issue and disconnect that's happening right now is that, especially on the issue of homelessness, 
Homelessness is a word that we put on a collection of issues, right? There's just as many reasons why people are homeless as there are people who are homeless. Um, and, and so what makes it difficult is we want to think about it in a vacuum, but we can't. We know that drugs and alcohol are a part of that. We know that mental health is a part of that. We know that um, people, again, escaping domestic violence, all these things are a part of that. And so we need uh, that city and county partnership because we need all of that money and their their expertise. Like the city is not um, has never been what's called a social services agency like the county is. The city um, doesn't run programs related to mental health. The county does. The city doesn't run programs related to addiction services or alcohol services because the county does. And that's gets the money for it. And so that's why this advocacy component is really important. Um, we need to make sure that people are also showing up to the County Board of Supervisors meetings, um, which are on Tuesdays. And they're from like nine o'clock until 13 hours long, um, <laughs> which is why it's really hard for people to participate. And I think a lot of people go to the city because the city makes it easy to participate in their process. Um, mm. uh, and the county isn't as easy. And so but it is important. We do need to get people organized and we need people to be asking the question of like, hey, why don't we have enough drug and alcohol treatment centers uh, for the people who need it in Sacramento? Why don't we have enough mental health treatment facilities for the people who need it in Sacramento? And how are we going to work together to make sure that the people in the street who are suffering um, have the resources they need? So y'all give it up for uh, Miss Katie. Give it up. Where's my, where's my, come on, Tevin. Come on, boy. You. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Well, give it up for you all. <laughs> so we appreciate you coming and hanging out with us for the hour. Um, it's always good when we can have people to come in and kind of just get to know them just a little bit better. Do you guys feel like you got to know her Definitely. just a little bit better? Yes. I think you have some 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 for, uh, constituents in the making <laughs> over here um, because they were listening and they were engaged. So I always love when we can do that for them. Um, but before we get out of here, I have one announcement to make. And Tevin's going to show you the video, uh, and I'll be right back. So go ahead and show that video really quick, Tevin. BYLP is building a student media program. Do you have a face for the camera, a voice that stands out, a knack for writing? Do you like to create content on your phone? Can you adjust to a fast-paced environment? If you answered yes to any of these questions, here's your chance to show us what you got. BYLP is looking to fill its media program with student talent both on and off camera. Producers, directors, editors, and writers to tell their own stories their way. Go to BYLP.org to apply. Students who complete the program may be eligible for a stipend. For more information, go to BYLP.org. And if you want to get hooked up in there, our cohort two class, uh, that's the broadcast media class, kicks off next Tuesday. What time? Six? Six? Okay. Six to seven. I think that's what he said to me. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to just go with that. Six to seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, we want to make sure that you are aware that we are hosting Camp Hack the Woods Woo 3. Uh, November 4th through the 6th. Thanks for putting that up. Because I was like, what day was that again? <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, and we are looking for your young people. If you have any young people between the ages of 13 and 17 and you want them to come kick it with us for the weekend, absolutely free. Thanks to the city of Sacramento. We're going to give them a little shout out right there. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks to the city of Sacramento. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and sign them up. You can find it on our website that is under events. And I believe it's Hack the Woods is the event tab that it's under. So with that, you guys, thank you again for us uh, coming and spending time with us. With that, we're going to hit you with the way. Uh, it looks like Sam's going to get us started. Go Look at him. Uh, uh, uh. Go ahead, Sam.
Okay, Melissa. Melissa. Anaya. Okay, now Miss Katie. Miss Katie. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. Hey. We will see you next oh, week, oh, next Monday. Take care, you guys.